This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, tonight, the title is What to Do When You Want to Quit on God. What to Do When You Want to Quit on God. I'll I'll tell you what, I just, oh, I got so much I want to say, but I just think about the Word of God. And I was praying for some people today that went through some uh, really tragic times recently. And, uh, you know, the, the the guy was telling me, he said, I just feel like I want to quit on God. I said, well, that's my sermon tonight. Hope you can make it. But, you know, I want to quit because of things in life. But I, I think the one thing that we can't say enough is that Christians need to have the revelation of what Jesus told us in John 10.10. In John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, I come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. And the Amplified Bible says, I came for them to have and enjoy life in abundance to the full, till it overflows. And so many times when something happens in a Christian's life that's bad, they think God did it. Well, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So I come for you to have and enjoy life. And so I know in my life, I learned a long, long time ago that when something bad happens to my family, to people close to me, that the first thing I want to do is find out what opened the door for Satan to get in. You got to close the door. You got to close the door. You know, I know that... uh I heard Brother Hagin say years ago that even if it looks like God did the bad, the Bible says he doesn't do it. So I'm not going to let the devil deceive me and tell me when something bad happened that God did it. And at the same time, I know that he warns me about sin. Sin is a blessing blocker. Sin is a blessing blocker. The blessing of God's out there for everybody, but especially when you're a Christian, if you're getting blessed and you open the door by way of sin and things start happening, you need to quit sinning. You need to repent and get it right, make some adjustments. Close the door. Ephesians 4.27 says, neither give place to the devil. And uh, the translations say, don't give the devil an opportunity. And so we've got to close doors. But anyway... Uh, regardless, we're talking tonight about how not to quit on God. Because whether you open a door or whether the devil just comes in and attack because he's the devil and, and he gets in, you're the one that's got to stick with God. One thing's for sure, if you walk away from him, how's he going to help you? If you blame him for the problem, how are you going to pray to him in faith? If you think God's the one that brought the mess how can you think the one that brought the mess is going to take it off of you? How can you talk to him if you think he did it? Amen. And so tonight we're going to look at some things in the Word of God to help you not to quit on God. And so look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 36. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 36. I feel like we're conducting a funeral service all of a sudden. We're not having a funeral. (laughs) 
Those first things weren't darts aimed at you. They were exhortation. <laughs> Amen. And so, let's open our Bibles and turn to Hebrews 10, verse 35 and 36. Okay, now we're resurrected. Yeah, when I was praying about what to talk about tonight, I just kept thinking about these verses over and over again. And I knew that I needed to build a message around this. And as soon as I started writing, it came so easy. Hebrews 10, verse 35 and 36 says this, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense and reward. For you have need of patience, that if you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And the promise God's talking about here is whatever it is you need. Let me ask you a question. Just think about this. Answer this within yourself. But are you believing God for something serious? Now think about that. And, you know, anybody that's lived as a Christian ought to believe, believe in God for something serious. And what am I talking about? Well, number one, a loved one's salvation. That's real serious. You know, things may be going well in your life. I mean, you know, you may be healthy. You may have your needs met abundantly. Got a good church and things go well in your house. No, no problems at all. But I'll tell you what, it ought to be a problem if somebody is a part of your bloodline that you know is not living for God. That's a pretty serious thing to stand on the promises of God. For God to be able to get through to their heart for them to yield Him. Amen? And so, uh, how many of you believe in something serious like a loved one's salvation or a loved one's deliverance? You know, there's, there's a lot of good Christian people that the devil has a stronghold on them and they can't seem to break free. There's people in your family that you know they're not living for God, but you also know there's demonic influence holding them back. And you want to see God lift that thing off of them. Or a healing for yourself, for a loved one. I mean, you know, I'm talking about some serious things because that's what we're talking about these verses right here. you got to have confidence that God's going to come through and do what His Word says He's going to do. Or maybe you're believing for a job. Or maybe you're believing for a car. See, all those things there, some of us take for granted. But there's people in this church that would give anything to have a car. And, you know, they, they, they would, at this point in time, settle for anything that would start and drive down the road no matter what it looked like. They need a car. That's real serious if you don't have a car. And so anyway, if it takes a while... For these things to show up, you don't quit. She don't quit. You don't walk away from God. And so anyway, uh, what is your confidence? It says, cast out away your confidence. So number one, what is your confidence? Well, if you're a disciple, and I'll tell you what, Pastor Dave really nailed that one, just between a disciple and a sometimes church member. I mean, you go back and listen to those listen to those sermons online. But a disciple is somebody that's serious. They read their Bible all the time. They do what God says to do. And if God uh, opens up a door for you to serve, you serve. A, a disciple tithes consistently. And I don't want to preach that sermon. I don't even have any notes. I'm just telling you, a disciple is a serious follower of Jesus Christ. They are wanting to change. They repent, etc. Disciples in church. All the time they can be in church, etc. So if you're a disciple, 
Then your confidence means this. You have set under the teaching of God's word and your private devotions. You've prayed. You've studied. We're talking about confidence, how you get your confidence. You've prayed. You've studied. You confess God's word over what you're believing for. You have verses in your heart and in your mind that are more real to you than the impossible circumstance. I want to say that again. A disciple sits under the word in church consistently and hears the word taught. A disciple takes notes. A disciple in their devotion time doesn't just read some flowery little thing that somebody put out there that makes you feel good. A disciple does have devotionals for sure, but a disciple in their prayer closet has their pen out, has their journal out, their notebook out, and they're praying and they're writing questions down and they're asking the Lord, Lord, what does your word say about this situation? Lord, I need something from you from my Bible that I can believe you for. I need verses, Lord, about what I'm believing for. And so a disciple spends enough time with God at his word, at his word, that the word gets bigger in their thinking than the circumstance. Amen. A disciple gets belong, gets beyond the just, I'm hoping and praying. Well, if you're hoping and praying, you're only halfway there. Hope comes before faith. If you don't have hope, then you can't have faith. Hebrews 11 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Your faith comes out of your hope. And so if you're just hoping and praying, the praying part's good, and the hoping part's nice, but that hope's got to turn into faith. And faith comes by the Word of God. And so always remember this. Real Bible faith is based upon God's holy written Word. And listen to this. So many Christians, I've seen them have shipwreck because of what I'm getting ready to say. Bible faith is not based upon whether it looks good or people make promises to you. I want to tell you what, preachers can let you down, your Christian friends can let you down, your parents can let you down, your children can let you down, your boss can let you down, people can let you down, but God's word will never fail. And so if your if you're, if you're faith and your confidence is based upon because some man promised you that job, because some woman said, this is what we're going to do for you, then guess what? Your love will get disappointed. But when your confidence is based upon what you've heard from God's Word speaking to you, if that man pulls the rug up ready on that job, guess what? God promised you the job. He'll get you another one. If some person promised you the deal on that car and that deal falls through, if you got it for your Word, by God supplies all my need. And God's the one taking care of this need. God's going to get you that car. Your confidence must be based on the written Word of God. Not just the written Word of God, but the written Word of God comes off those pages and gets in your heart. Gets in your thinking. To where you think more about what God said than what people said. And so anyway, whether things look good or things look bad, the Word of God never changes. And so we're talking about your confidence being concerning specific promises that God made to you from his word for things you're believing for. Write this down. Faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. Faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. 
If you've got an impossible situation of somebody you're believing for to be healed, believing for yourself, faith doesn't deny things by saying, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. If you went to the doctor, the doctor diagnosed you for, for one thing, why would you go to a doctor if you wasn't sick? Why waste your time and your money to go to a doctor if you weren't sick? And so if you go to a doctor and the doctor gives you a diagnosis that may be terminal or something else or really, really, really a bad thing that they say there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no cure for this. You're always going to live with this. Then faith doesn't say, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. Faith says, I've been diagnosed with such and such, but now I've applied the word of God. And the word of God says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I've had hands laid on me. I've been prayed for and I'm getting better every day. It doesn't say I'm not sick. I'm not sick. I'm not sick. What if you're not sick? Why listen to the doctor then? You went to the doctor so you can identify what it is you're putting your faith up against. And then guess what? Because Jesus said they shall recover. Then you stand on it. I'm getting better every day. Every day, every day. And when I go back to that checkup next week, I expect the doctor to say, you know what, you've recovered. But guess what? If the doctor doesn't say you've recovered, what do you do? You keep on doing what you did. You keep on standing on the Word. That's the things we're going to talk about tonight. That that your faith, your confidence in God can change things. And now I want you to notice this. Verse 36 says, For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And so this is how you stay in faith and keep your confidence after you've done the will of God. And so when you know in your heart that you've done all you know to do by the witness of the Spirit in your heart, and what you know from the Word of God, then you know all you've known to do. You've done all you know to do. And I think about our lives. I think about this patience, and, and I think about me and Mrs. Pastor. We watched this wonderful life last night. Well, we didn't. Actually, I did. I watched 100%. She watched about three-fourths of it. And then she was off into her place where she likes to go, but she gets up early and works hard. And so she did that. But you know what? We watch It's a Wonderful Life now different than we did 30 years ago. 30 years ago, when we watched It's a Wonderful Life, we really identified with Jimmy Stewart, man. We just really, life was bad. We were Christians, believing God, but so many things weren't going our way yet. But we stuck with it now to where it's just a whole different world. We watch it now, it's entertaining. Back then, is we identified with it because we felt like that. We felt like Jimmy Stewart, man. Thought, I wish I'd never been bored. <laughs> you know, things just were so horrible, but things turned around. I said that to say this. I'm glad Austin's here tonight. I don't want to embarrass Austin, but if you get a chance, look at the guy's chest and his arms. You know? <laughs> he, he, you know why they're that way? I found out a couple weeks ago. I, I was in his garage and there was a, there's a weight bench out there. And it had this bar on there that I could probably, I'm not talking about a drinking place, I'm talking about a, you know, the weight bar with big round things on the end. And if I had a forklift, I could probably pick it up. <laughs> but this thing, no exaggeration, had this thing, you know, the great big round ones you put on the end, the big fat round ones, had those on both ends. 
And then went down a little, little like that, where that thing was heavy. I don't know what it weighed. But I'll tell you this. I think that probably a few years ago, before he was a big, tough Marine and all those kind of things, you'd have to hear it carry telephone poles. <laughs> and that, he probably couldn't have picked that up. But over the years, he's worked out and added things to it that now he picks it up a lot easier than he used to. But if he decided he's going to start going back to cakes and ice creams and Twinkies and Ho-Hos, and sit around the remote control and just sit there, flip the remote control, his thumb would be strong. But if he went out there and tried to pick that up, he might get hurt. But he's developed that over time. Now listen to this. The Lord gave me this. I'm getting ready to say while we were worshiping a minute ago. I never thought of it this way. You know we have spiritual muscles. How many know that faith is a spiritual muscle? Joy is a spiritual muscle. You You develop joy... By determining that no matter whether it's good or bad, you're going to start laughing at different things you do. Patience is a very serious spiritual muscle. And Mrs. Pastor and I have developed that spiritual muscle, I realized, as I was up here worshiping God to a strong degree. And you, some of you are going to identify with this. As you were younger in the Lord, and you thought everything you prayed for was going to happen overnight, and you found out it didn't happen overnight, and you stuck with it, he was able to outlast the crisis until things showed up. He said, you have need of patience. Years ago, Brother Copeland had a book out that I probably still got up in my uh, faith library, wherever that's at. It's in a box somewhere right now while we're moving. But anyway, it was called, his book was called Faith and Patience, the Power Twins. Faith and patience, the power twins, they work together. See, the confidence you talk about here is talking about your faith life. He said, don't cast away your confidence. You have need of patience now. Your patience and your faith work together. When you got a high level of faith, if you don't have patience working, then I mean, to me, that'd be about like a guy uses his left arm all the time. And so he's got this great big giant arm. He's got a little weenie arm he never uses. It just kind of hangs there. <laughs> well, that's what it is, the patience arena. You know, some people talk about, Lord, give me patience. He already gave it to you as part of the fruit of the Spirit. You have it. It's Lord, thank you in the name of Jesus. I'm going to develop my patience muscle. It's a spiritual muscle. You've got to develop it. And the only way you develop patience is when you're going through things. And we're going to talk in a great detail about patience more than what you think it is. The only way you develop patience is allow patience to work while you're waiting on God. So anyway, back in those days, years and years ago, it was very, very difficult when we was in the middle of crisis to wait longer than a week and wanting it done. But we found out that most things we believe in God for didn't happen in a week. We found out that most things didn't happen in a month. We found out sometimes that some things, believe it or not, didn't happen in a decade. Had to stand and stand and stand and stand and never quit, never give up. When we had God's word in our heart, this verse right here carried me so much that after you've done the will of God, when things didn't happen and I started to get frustrated, I'd have to be in the prayer closet and say, Lord, is there anything else I'm supposed to be doing? See, you find the will of God two ways. Number one, it's the written word of God. It's the will of God. And then number two, 
the things in life we need to do, the Holy Spirit shows us. And so when God shows you something else to do, I, I, I just tell you what, I, I don't know how to say it. I don't like the word hate, but I hated it when I stood and then God showed me something else I had to do. Man, I never wanted to have to dig in and do more. But man, when you're believing for things in life that are really serious to you and they're necessary things, do you want life changing things to happen and you're seeking God and it's, it's been months and months and months that you knew something else to do that all of a sudden here's something else to do? Oh, glory to God. Here we go again, all over again. So we do this. But the thing is, this is the Bible talking. This is God talking. He said you have need of patience after you've done the will of God. Then you can receive the promise. <clears throat> so anyway, got down to thinking about developing this patience muscle. We've been working on getting, getting a house of house transactions done, transactions done for the last several months. And man, oh man, oh man, God bless California. And all these blessed rules they got for just selling a house and buying a house. All these hoops to jump through. And all these people to deal with. And all these inspections and all these papers to sign. And then you think you're done. Then they pull the rug out from under you and say, no, you didn't do this right. You got to do this one. And you think you're done. And then somebody else reviews the papers. They say, oh, they didn't do this one. And you keep on doing it, doing it, doing it. And I got to say this, the last few months, I tell you, I've been so tempted to walk away from all this, but praise God, I'll tell you what, on, I may not look like it on the outside, but I'm Austin on the inside, this patience muscle. i tell you what, patience muscle kicked in, and we made it. Praise God, we're so close. Got one sold, and just two weeks away from buying the other one, in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to pull something else. But I'm just thinking about that. That so many years ago, that would have been so rough to endure this thing and make it through this thing and finally pass the test. But that patience muscle in us is highly developed. And for you, for the things in your lives, that's what we want to look at now is how you develop that patience muscle in your life to be able to do what God wants you to do so you don't quit. And so you have need of patience. So you do the will of God. Now, I want you to notice that word patience there. And I want you to turn that over to James chapter 1, verse 4. Just go over a few pages to the right. I guess if you've got a clicker in your hand, just punch a few buttons and <laughs> change screens. But in a real Bible, go over to the right. James chapter 1, verse 4. And we're talking about how not to quit on God. And, and you know, I would always say this. When you're sitting at a service like this, this may not be you right now. It may have been you in the past. But a lot of times when you're a mature Christian, like most of you are at a service like this, as you hear things like this and you take notes, there's people in your life that are Christians you can help them with. You know, maybe family members, maybe people you work with, you fellowship with on the job. It may, it may be neighbors that you talk to that are Christians and they're going through a crisis, and they're about to give up on everything, you say, you know what? My pastor just taught a sermon on that subject, and I want to help you right now. Don't quit. I want to show you some verses on what to do so you won't quit. And so, you know, when you're in things like this, you're hearing things that are good, they excite you now, but just always remember, you're almost like a pregnant woman. You're eating for two sometimes. You know, you're eating some word, because Jesus said we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word 
Seeds out of the mouth of God. So as you're taking the word in, take notes. Remember what you said? And then God, the Holy Spirit, John, John 14, 26, says the Holy Spirit will bring to our remembrance everything he's ever said to us. And so all of a sudden, a month from now, you're talking to somebody, and they're about to give up. Say, wait a minute. And the Holy Spirit begins to remind you what you heard tonight, and you go back to your notes to refresh yourself. They say, I want to help you write down some Bible. Amen. So always remember that. It's not just for you, but a lot of times it's to help others. And so we're talking about this word patience. James 1 verse 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Perfect and entire, lacking nothing, another translation says. And so there's a whole lot in this verse right here, but listen to this. I'm going to break it down because it's patience. He said, don't cast away your confidence. You have need of patience. And then he says right here, but you got to let patience have her perfect work. And so patience in the Bible means more than just waiting or killing time and hoping something good's going to happen. It means more than just waiting or killing time and think something good's going to happen. Patience in the Bible means being constant and consistent in your lifestyle. Constant and consistent in your lifestyle. It means being the same all the time. Whether things are going your way or everything's against you. Whether everybody loves you or they're all talking about you. Faith means you're constant and consistent. And of course, we know that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. It says, keep our eyes on Jesus while we're going through things. And so Jesus was the most constant and consistent person that ever walked this earth. Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ was the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ was the same on a good day or bad day. How many know that bad days happened in Jesus' life, he didn't change? I mean, how would you like to be preaching and they want to walk you off a cliff? They want to stone you. How would you like to be up there, naked and exposed to all your family and friends, and it says, when you read the Gospels, he ministered to multitudes, multitudes got healed. When he went to get crucified, they say multitude, multitude said crucify him. I mean, man, that was a bad day. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. What would he say on a good day? Father, forgive them. They need help. What did he say on a bad day? Father, forgive them. And so Jesus Christ is our example of a patient man. Jesus was the same. A patient man or a patient woman are constant. They're consistent. They have it a bad time. Where do you find them on Sunday morning? They have it a good time. Where do you find them on Sunday morning? They got assignment in the church to do. If things aren't going well at home, where do you find them? Fulfilling their assignment. Everything's well at home. All the families coming to church. They're all excited. Where do you find them? Doing what God told them to do. They're constant. They're consistent. You have need of patience. You have need of patience. But let patience have her perfect works. So he's being the same all the time. And the spiritual disciplines. And notice in the word discipline, you have a word right there, right in the middle of it called disciple. A disciple is a disciplined believer. 
they have spiritual disciplines they follow. You know, I think about Austin. You know, I get back to Austin again. You know, I don't know what I was doing now working on the railroad, but I guess if you're working on the railroad, you pick up those railroad ties and carry them down to the telephone poles. I guess, I guess on a job, he probably lays down there lifting railroad ties. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or picking up rails. Anybody ever seen those old cowboy shows? You got, you got 15 Chinese men picking up those things and carry them. Austin just grabs them under both arms. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, Spiritual discipline, that's a discipline to lift weights and do those things. Spiritual discipline means you do the same thing whether you feel like it or not. You know, I think about the Marines because my son Joe's a Marine. You know, he's acting he's a Marine now. And I think about all the stuff that Joe's done in the Marines, the stuff they do when those guys do the things they do. Joe told me he's stationed out last year in uh, Virginia. Dad, 2 o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden we have to jump up. <laughs> and grab a telephone pole and run five miles with a telephone pole on her shoulder. <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning, jump up and run a telephone pole, a real telephone pole. He said, Dad, they got big telephone poles in Virginia. <laughs> I guess maybe California, you don't know how the rhythm would whip out. But anyway, I guess you're there at Two o'clock in the morning and have to jump up in your pajamas wherever you sleep in and run through the rain because it was raining. Had to get three or four Marines on a big telephone pole running like that. I'd say that's discipline, wouldn't you? You know, how, how about a believer? They, they stayed up too late last night playing Zozo or some goofy game. I never played one in my life, so I don't know what those games are. But anyway, played some goofy bozo game or something on a cell phone. And then the next day, they don't have enough discipline to get up and work out in the Word. Amen or oh me. If you got enough undisciplined, play some goofy game that's not going to put faith in you. Why don't you have enough discipline if you're going to play the game? Say, okay, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to work out the Word at least a half hour before I go to work. I'm going to work out the Word. That's a disciple. Amen. Amen. So anyway, uh, uh, this patience is the spiritual disciplines that a disciple develops in life. And so the spiritual disciplines that you develop in the first place to build up your faith, to build up your confidence, is what you must faithfully continue if you want to get the promise. In other words, in other words, the faith things you did to get to the place where you got confidence. You got a bad diagnosis, you got a bad family situation. You got bad things going on in your job life or whatever it is, whatever's happening. You come to a church like this, teaches the Bible. You have testimonies of people, what God's done for them. If that's what you did to get your confidence built up and you prayed and read your Bible, then he says you have need of patience. Keep on doing what you did to get it or you lose it. Amen. You know, that's the sad thing I've seen in so many Christians. They come in absolutely defeated in life, going nowhere fast except disaster, heading for shipwreck, about to crash, come in, and all of a sudden they got victory, things that happened well, and then you notice a couple weeks in a row they're not here. You say, where's so-and-so at? Well, I don't know, I haven't seen them. Then somebody else comes along and says, well, I talked to them, they got that new job. And they did this, they did that. You know, they got this new entertainment thing or whatever it is. And then, uh, you know, they might show stuff. 
Oh, I want to give a testimony. God got me a brand new 84-inch big screen. I get all the football channels. And, of course, you know this is football time, so you won't be seeing me. Until they crashed again. Then if they survive the crash, we get them built back up again. And then hopefully they get enough sense to know they got to do what they did to keep what they got. We're talking about how not to cast away your confidence. And so anyway, you got to faithfully continue your Christian lifestyle. You know, I heard Jerry Savelle say back in 1981, I remember I was up in South Bend, Indiana, Jerry Savelle was there. And he said, <clears throat> a man of faith, when a man, when there's a man of faith around, you'll never know if he needs a million or if he's got a million. They got joy where they got a pocket full of money. They got joy if they don't have any money. <laughs> Amen. And so for we as Christians, if we're going to be paid, Patient people that are, that are consistent and constant in our Christian life. They walk into church on a Sunday morning. And you know, I know people come here to get help. Everybody's not at that place. But I'm talking about you that are listening to this tonight. To become a patient person, you walk through the door and you just lost, you know, something really big and valuable in your life. You walk through the door, you come in. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Everything, man, they're on top of the world. Man, they got all kinds of things going on, but you know what they are? They're letting patience have its perfect work while they're watching restoration come back into their life. What are we talking about tonight? He said, cast not away your confidence. Said your confidence has great recompense and reward. He said, but the way you cast not away your confidence is let patience have its perfect work. Amen. And so anyway, he, uh, he, he says... That uh, let patience, that means being constantly consistent and consistently constant, have a perfect work. Why? It says right there that you may be perfect. That word perfect there means mature. As you're letting patience work, you're going to mature as a Christian. Perfect work that may be perfect, and we know that nobody's perfect. But that word perfect means mature. You're going to mature as a disciple. That you may be perfect and mature. And so we're going through a trying time. If you walk in your spiritual discipline, your patience will help mature you. You know, something that I, you know, probably some of you do this and you don't realize you're doing it because you've heard religious people say it. How many know the difference between religious things and the Bible? The Bible's one thing, religious traditions. Jesus said people's religious traditions made the Word of God of none effect. Okay, how many have ever heard, or maybe you've said it, but don't raise your hand and embarrass yourself. <laughs> how many have ever said, trials make you stronger? Well, trials are designed by the devil to destroy you. Trials don't make you stronger. But, now listen to this. How many people know people went through trials to make them stronger, destroyed them? Destroys things. You get stronger through trials if you apply the principles of the Word of God. Because when you're up against the wall, if you're like we've always been, we find out what's the Bible say about this. That we apply the Word of God to overcome the trial. And if we don't get the results we need, we're constant consistent. We find more Word. We stand on the Word of God and we don't quit. 
That's how people, Christians, get stronger through trials. Not because of the trial, what they did concerning the trial. I want to let that thing sink in as you're sitting there thinking about it. When you're being tested, because let's face it, if trials made people strong, then the church before spiritual giants. Because everybody's going through a trial. But everybody doesn't get better through the trial. Some people quit because of the trial. Some people die because of the trial. Some people lose their house and their family and everything in life because of the trial. But the Christians that during the trial cast not away their confidence, but allow patience being constant, consistent, operate in their lives, they grow during the trial. Because the Word of God will grow you as you're going through the trial. And like, 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 I've been talking about Austin. But man, I think, it, I don't know, we might have some more really workout guys in here. John probably works out. I mean, John looks like he's got some. But anyway, the guys that consistently work out and don't quit, they build up the muscles. The Christians that stay constant, consistent. You're going through the thing, you got a bad diagnosis in health. Somebody in your family really went haywire. Or some Christian you really thought was a strong Christian backslid. You know, that's the one I don't understand why it affects other Christians' lives. When some Christian decides to backslide that they thought was some super saint. Why'd you have your eyes on super saint instead of Jesus? If somebody backslides, why should it affect your faith? Amen. Or another one. Another one, this, this is one I, you know, some things I just don't understand because they don't register with me because I never fell for them. I don't understand why somebody would walk away from God because some Christian said something nasty to him. You know, I know that years ago I learned how to help people when you're trying to get them hooked up with God and come to church. And I say, well, I don't like churches because they got mean people there. All I say to them was, what did Jesus ever do mean to you? All Jesus ever did is said, I love you this much. Jesus said, by my stripes you're healed. Jesus said, I'll give you my anointing. Jesus said, I will heal you. Jesus said, I will bless you. I will help you. The devil said, get offended at churches. The church people stay away from church so Jesus can't help you. And so that's my answer to people. They say, I don't go around, want to go around churches. There's a Christian one time that stuck his tongue out at me. Well, how about those sinners that gave you the bird? Is the bird worse than the tongue? I'm going to stay away from the sinners because they hurt me. I've never heard anybody say that. I'm going to stay away from the tavern because they're mean to the tavern. They run to the tavern. Why do they run to the tavern where they're already, where they're a whole lot meaner than church people and run away from Jesus? It's called spiritual deception. Do a better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. That you may be spiritually mature. And then the word entire means complete. That you may be complete and then lacking nothing. And so he says that when we allow patience to work by being consistently constant and constantly consistent in our spiritual life, that we're going to become to the place where we lack nothing. We're going to be able to have everything God wants us to have, everything God wants us to do, but we're not going to have it in one year. We're not going to have it in two years. 
We're going to grow and grow and grow and grow. And, you know, I may not be able to lift up how many hundred pounds Austin lifts up with weights. But I'll tell you what, i got mountain moving faith now. I can move mountains with my faith now. and That's not bragging. It's just a fact. I've been working out for 39 years. For 39 years. And the more that you, the more that you do, the more God trusts you to do. Because you see, you're faithfully lifted up. You stay working out. I'm doing the same thing now I did 39 years ago. I read my Bible. I work out of the Word of God. I pray. I take notes. I listen to God. God puts something in my heart to do. I don't say I can't do that. I say, okay, Lord, how do you want to do that? Because I've learned I don't trust in me. I trust in Him. But His Word is His Word is Him. So His Word's in my heart and in my mouth. That's Him. But it's me. That's Him. But it's me. In John chapter 17, Jesus in that great prayer, Jesus prayed, Father, that they may be one in us. I in them. Me and you. Them in me. You and them. The whole cycle where we become one to where as we walk with God, our spirit becomes in tune with God. The more we obey what he says to do, where he say, was that God or was that me? Well, if you're walking with him like that, it's you and him both. You know, think about this. In Mark chapter 16, it says the Lord working with them. Confirming their good ideas. Confirming what? The word with signs following. God confirms the word. And you know, I just want to, I want to tell you this to get a hold, get a hold of this. We're a word church, not just because that's a nice thing to say, but we want to base our faith upon the word of God. And why is that? In Mark 16, verse 20, says Jesus working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Isaiah 55, 11, my word shall not return void. And so if we're praying the word, if our actions are in line with the word, then God's going to show up in our life and do what the word says because in our spiritual devotions, you don't want to put there for December the 1st, in the beginning was the word. John chapter 1, verse 4, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Jesus was always in existence, but God planted the Word in Mary's womb, and then that Word impregnated that egg, and when that egg came out, it was the Word that came out, it was Jesus, said He grew flesh and walked among us. You know, that is so simple. It might sound weird to people who don't understand spiritual things. That's exactly what happened. Jesus, the living word, became a man. He was all God, but he was all man. And God in us, as his word begins to become real to us, come out of our mouth, was it God or was it you? It was both. It was God through you. You need God, God needs you. God wants his word to become manifest in your life. So your confidence has got to be in his word. But that that patience will cause you to become complete in him as you let it work. And so what are some Christian disciplines that helped you develop confidence in God that you're not supposed that 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 you're that you're not supposed to cast away? He says, cast out away your confidence. And so I want to look at some things right here in the Bible real simply, that we're not supposed to cast away. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. 
And, you know, this, this is just a glimpse of some things that we should know as Christians. But he said, don't cast away your confidence. And so what are some of the things we constantly, consistently did that helped us to have faith in God that, and I'm talking about impossible situations. I'll tell you what, there's nothing any more joyful than to see somebody that was a hardcore sinner become a Christian. Man, I remember this one religious guy. I just got to tell you, I wasn't always a nice, sweet guy I am right now. Back in, back in the, some of you weren't even around at this time, but back in the, back in the, uh, mid seventies, I went through a divorce. That was a long, long, long time ago. I didn't want a divorce. My wife left me. She didn't want me anymore. I didn't want a divorce. I was a sinner at that time. And man, I got mean. I mean, I really got mean. I mean, I really got mean, mean, mean. People didn't want to be around me. And I told my wife the other day, I said, man, I remember some of the things I did. I was so mean to people. But I was going through a hurting time. And, you know, it's just like a dog that's hurt, man. You get around a dog that's hurt, he's going to bite you. I, w- I was mean back in those days. And I, I was just thinking about on my job. I mean, man, everybody's afraid of me. They didn't know what I might do next. It was bad. I had one guy that was so afraid of me. He started carrying two guns. He got a permit. Had the guy carrying the shoulder holster. Had nothing in his boot kits in case I got rid of the one. He had his holster. <laughs> it was bad, 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 bad. Back in those days, I mean, it was bad, bad, bad. And I remember after I got saved, I was all the way for the devil before then. I was all the way for God. And I, I, I figured at one time, there's about 70 to 80% of the people in my job I led to the Lord. From the Baptist secretary of the office, one day at the office, I laid hands on her, started speaking in tongues right in the office, in front of all those sinners, everybody. All of a sudden, here's this Baptist lady talking in tongues, laid hands on her. And I, and I prayed for the guys on the dock. I witnessed everything that moved. If they wouldn't move, I'd get them moving so I could witness to them. And so I remember one day, I prayed, I prayed for this, this one guy and he got healed right there walking up the dock. Then prayed for another guy. And, and I remember I was talking to this guy on the dock. I found out he's a Christian. I worked with him for years, but he never witnessed to me or anything. And so he asked me this, this one day, he's kind of a religious Christian. He's a Christian, but he's kind of religious. So I led this guy to the Lord of the dock. He says, how do you know he's saved? Did you baptize him? And I said, baptized, no water out there on the dock. <laughs> like that. And, and he, he said something, something to me. And I said, I said, well, how come you never told me about Jesus? How come you never witnessed to me? He said, I was afraid of you. I thought you were too mean to get saved. And, and, and I said, I said, well, I wasn't as bad as Paul. He said, what do you mean? You know, and everybody knows Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. I said, I never killed any Christians. And his mouth dropped open. I said, I never put him up in prison. Like that. So I said, if Paul wasn't too mean to get saved, how could you think I was too mean to get saved? And so what am I saying? I'm saying nothing's impossible with God. I have found out that a lot of times the meanest Christians, the meanest sinners make the best Christians. Because I'll tell you what, when I was a sinner... I was a sinner. I wasn't raised in church. Matter of fact, the only Christian I knew in the whole world was my Baptist grandma. My Baptist grandma was a great influence. She took me to Sunday school. She took me to church. She would take all the grandkids to church. She'd get to church like that. Grandmas, God bless you. 
keep on doing what you're doing. You bring those grandkids to church. No matter what the parents are doing right now, you bring those grandkids to church. Because my parents, my parents weren't in church is why I didn't have any relationship with God. Because I didn't have an example from my house except grandma. She'd take me to church. And so I think about that, that all those years later, my Baptist grandma's prayers come to pass. I come into the kingdom of God, and I was a soul winner. Been a soul winner all these years. And so that's what I'm saying, that when I got turned around because nothing's impossible with God, I stayed constant, consistent all these years. I remember, I remember, I remember when I got saved back on January 29th, 1980, it was just a revelation to me that God was real. That Jesus was alive. I never knew that. God was real. Jesus was alive. I was 28 and a half years old. And so when I found out he is alive all these years through good times or bad times, what is there to go back to? I want to go back to getting shot at again. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't. What? I got a blonde that's whispering at me and I have no idea what she's saying. Oh, no, that's too mean. I can't do that. No, 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 nobody like that. No. Okay, she wants me to tell you about one story. But remember, it wasn't me. The guy used to live in here died. I'm a new creature in Christ. It wasn't me. I hated life so bad. And the reason I hated life so bad, because my wife left me and took my girls. And it was a horrible, horrible thing to have children. If you loved your children, you couldn't see your children. It wasn't. Yeah, well, one of them's going to be coming here for the first time to California in a couple of weeks. We'll get to meet her on Sunday morning. Uh, don't tell her any of my stories. <laughs> Dave, don't put this on the Internet. Anyway, the one she wants me to tell you, nobody could be this mean. But the guy that used to was that it wasn't me. A disclaimer, it wasn't me. This is a born-again creature in here now. He would never do this. But I remember back in those days, I was a Teamsters truck driver. We had rules and regulations we followed, and we had lived by the contract. And so when we delivered things to people's businesses or houses, if they didn't pay extra, we didn't have to take it in for them. Had to come out and get our stuff we had for them. So I delivered this business one day, and I don't know, it might not have been an old lady because I was a young punk then, but I thought she was an old lady, so maybe she was. I had some boxes of encyclopedias for her. And she wanted me to take him in. And I was mean and hated everybody and everything and anybody. And nice old grandmas didn't even faze me because I was mean. And so I told the old lady, I said, you have to pay for this. You want me to take it? I can't do it if you don't pay. So she told me, of course, she didn't have the money to want to pay. I said, no pay. I don't take it in. So I said, sign right here. So she signed right there. And so then... This is, Pastor, I should have never told this. So I kicked her books out of the parking lot and left in my truck. And so then my boss calls me on the radio and tells me to go back and take those in for that old woman. Be nice. And I said, I'm not going to go back and take them in. I don't have to. It's not the contract. He said, you can take them back right now. I'm going to fire you. And I said, I can't go back. He said, why? I said, because the clutch is going out my truck. So I went up and down the street. Locking my trailer, brakes on my truck, 
and burned my clutch out because I was mean and I was mad. So I don't know if it was that one day or not, but I think I got fired three times in one day. Oh, it was bad. It was bad. But remember what I'm saying. I was a sinner. I was miserable. I hated everybody and everything. Not because I was always that way all the time. I was going through a rough time in life and I didn't like life. I was living on, at that time they didn't do drug tests. I was living on drugs. I couldn't go into my job. And so the people I was living with was a nurse and she got me drugs out of the doctor's office. And so I stayed high all the time on drugs just to face life. And so to make a good moral of that whole story, when you see people sometimes you think it's so mean, they're not mean. They're hurting. Something has them hurting in life. Things like life. And so anyway, I speak supernatural memory racer on your minds that that story that she wanted me to tell won't be there. Because although, although I was a sinner back then, and there's no excuse for anything, I hate that part of my life that I was that way towards people. It was a terrible, terrible time, and it was bad. But God, through his mercy, sent Jesus for my salvation, and I received it. Okay. And so anyway, I want to look back now at what we're supposed to be doing that caused us to get our confidence. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold fast our profession of our faith, without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. Hold fast to the confession. Well, that word profession there comes from a Greek word, homologia. Homologia means to say the same as. And so you find out what God says about your situation. You say what God says from the Word of God. He says, hold fast to confession of your faith. He didn't say, hold fast to confession of how bad it is. You know, there's things in my life I share with nobody, except my wife, if I need to. There's things in my life sometimes this past year I went through, the devil tried to kill me. There was things I, I went through through stage four, seven percent of my blood full of cancer, and then a heart attack in the middle of it, 99% blockage. There was things that I had to hold fast my confession of faith with. And you get up and your wife tells you, you know, uh, hey, something tried to go on. Well, if I need to tell her, I would sometimes. But most times I said, praise God, I'm getting better every day. By the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. Well, holding fast the confession of my faith, saying the same thing God said, is what got me to where I am in life today. And so going through a bad time, I hold fast the confession of my faith without wavering. And so this is what got you the victory in life to where you are, got your confidence. And so what do you got to keep constantly, consistently doing? Confessing the word. He said, hold fast the confession of your faith. He didn't say, hold fast and confess your symptoms. If you have to tell the doctor your symptoms, you tell him. But once you've been prayed for and you know what you're standing on, now if you're not that place in faith yet, then don't try this at home. But you build yourself up to where you can start saying what God's Word says. You're about to go bankrupt, stuff about getting repossessed, then start confessing the Word of God. Give God his 10%. God rebuked the devourer for me. I remember the day they, back in years ago, we had to go through a bankruptcy. Well, the reason we did, I made some mistakes. We were building a church. Church started having problems. People left. And so I put my house on the line to pay for the new church building we were building. I put all of our stuff on the line. I had super good credit because of our place in life where we come to. 
And so I maxed out a charge card to buy lumber for the building. I maxed out another card to finish the building, finish the things. Church didn't make it, went bankrupt. And I know that the day I heard him come and take my car away, I heard that thing hooking up there. That's the most horrible sound I ever heard. Clankety, clankety, clank, chains hooking up my car to pull away. Praise you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Forgive us for trying to help you out and build that church, Lord. We'll never do that again. You don't need our charge cards to build your church. But I remember that horrible sound. But you know what the confession was? Thank you, Lord, that you supply all of our need. Accord your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, you rebuke the devourer for us. Thank you, Lord, we're tithers and the windows of heaven are open. You see what I'm saying? We hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering. And then I want you to look at this next thing. He tells us right here, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Let's consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. And so listen to this. Always remember you've got two hands. While you're reaching up to others to help encourage you and build you up, always be alert to those around you going through a hard time to reach out to them and help lift them up. You got one raised up like that, getting help, have the other reaching down to pull them up, to lift them up, lift groups. That's probably where that name comes from. And then verse 25 is the closer. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another as so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, he's saying, stay hooked up with your spiritual family. Stay hooked up with your church. Stay hooked up doing what got you the victory and keep on doing what you know to do. And so all that said, cast not away therefore your confidence. Has great recompense of reward. You have need of patience. Be constant. Be consistent. Steep, keep practicing the Christian disciplines that you've developed and you will receive the promise. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.